Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. It's a text that um, if you're a student here and you're not familiar with, you probably should drop out of your program at this point. So, um, so you're probably going to be wondering, well, what, what does he have to say that's going to be new? And, and, and as you're turning there, one of the things I noticed um, is that almost every sermon, actually every sermon that I can recall uh, on the Great Commission begins at verse 18. Do you ever notice that? And, and I don't know about you, but I actually always wondered why when, if you look at the even the English translation, the section begins at verse 16, but then they skip right over to verse 18. And I want to tell you that I think that's a great tragedy. And I want to show you why verse 16 and 17 really are um, so precious um, to the Great Commission. So let's just start with verse 16. It says, The eleven disciples uh, uh, went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, uh, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I want to start with verse 16 and 17. We're probably going to take most of our time on these two verses. And I call this, the first two verses, the priority of mission. The priority of mission, all right? So notice first, it says the 11 disciples. You notice that? So uh, they were known as the 12. And and so Matthew could have said the disciples uh, went to Galilee. But he specifically says the 11 disciples. There's a noticeable uh, subtraction from 12. He wants you to remember that there was one disciple who masqueraded as a disciple. He uh, flirted with discipleship. He had been with Jesus for about three and a half years. He had been literally in proximity to the living Savior and God. And, and yet somehow he fooled all the other disciples so that when Jesus said that one would betray him, none of them knew who exactly it would be. You see, before we talk about missions, before we talk about church planting, before we talk about disciple making, before we talk about multiplication, really I think one of the problems in the American church, and maybe it's a, it's a problem in many parts of the world, is that we skip over this absolute priority of mission, which is, are you a disciple? You see, it's possible in seminary and in Bible college, it's possible to be in proximity to the Bible. It's possible to study the Greek and the Hebrew and to study systematics and to study hermeneutics and yet be masquerading as a disciple. It's possible for you to literally hear the word of God week in and week out through chapel, through church, through Sunday school, through seminary classes and totally forget that your primary identity is not that you're a leader, not that you're a great teacher or preacher, but you are first and foremost a disciple. You see, these 11 were going to become very soon apostles. In fact, very soon they were going to become church planters and and, and pretty sick church planters, you know what I'm saying? Like he's going to preach one sermon and it's going to grow to 3,000 people in one sermon. That's better than all of us, amen? 
and they're also going to write the Bible, so they just have that on us, right? And yet, before they were Bible writers, before they were apostles, before they were church planters, before they died for their faith, before they were missionaries, before they were multipliers, before they were visionaries, or as some people now call us, cultural architects, they were simply disciples for three and a half years. And actually, after those three and a half years, when Jesus left, guess what? They were still disciples. And there's some of us in this room, and maybe this is the American church, I'm not sure, but who think that, well, I took a discipleship class once a week for three months, so I'm a disciple now. I can move on. So treat me like a leader. Like, treat me like, like I'm God's gift to the kingdom. Treat me like I, my voice should be heard first, because I'm a blogger, I'm a podcaster, you know what I'm saying? But he, he will not say on that final day, well done, good and faithful blogger, amen? That's not in the Greek. Well done, good and faithful podcaster or visionary. He doesn't say that. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful slave. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful disciple. Well done, good and faithful follower, learner of Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you as students, how are you doing with discipleship? Not discipling others, but being discipled by Jesus. How much do you care about living out this word? How much do you tremble at the fact that the living God, who we will stand before face to face one day, is the one that he calls us to obey and to know? So then what is a disciple? What, what did these apostles do uh, when they were disciples? This is what they did. First, they heard the word. It says they went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, if you know the context of this passage uh, in Matthew, you know that the two women went to the tomb and Jesus' body was not there. An angel appears to the two women and says to them, go and tell the disciples that they need to go to Galilee where Jesus will meet them. They will see Jesus there. Then Jesus appears to them after this and literally says the same thing. Go and tell the brothers that um, they need to go to Galilee where they will see me. And I want you to know that as long as we're on this side of heaven, you will have some level of unbelief. You will say with um, the, the character in the Bible who says, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. That, that's... That's the Christian life on this side of heaven, amen? If you think you have no unbelief, then you're unaware of how desperately sinful your heart is, how we resist and reject his promises apart from his spirit. And so none of us believes perfectly, amen? So I want to just encourage you, if you're a seminary student, a college student, and you've wrestled with doubts and you're afraid to share that with other people in your school, that, that I would just submit to you, start sharing that. And if they judge you, then that's probably because they got their own issues. But uh, it'd be awesome to create a culture in this seminary where you can share those things and say, would you pray for me so that I might have faith? so that I, my unbelief would begin to be washed away because we know that faith comes by hearing and that by the word of Christ. So they hear the word of Christ and with some level of doubt, they trust the word of Christ enough to obey the word of Christ, amen? They hear, they trust, they obey. That's a good disciple, amen? For the rest of your life, you will never graduate from the school of discipleship. For the rest of your life, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, for the rest of your life, every day of your life, you must hear the word of Christ 
You must ask the Father, God, by, by your word and spirit, give me faith to trust this word of Christ and then to, by grace, obey the word of Christ. Now, this is not, the, the purpose of hearing, the purpose of exegesis, the purpose of hermeneutics, all the purpose of this is so that you would trust and obey the word of Christ. It's not so that your knowledge puffs you up so you can teach a Bible study. And a lot of us, we, 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 we skip over that. I was on my first paid sabbatical. I mean, I've been in ministry now for 24 years. And, um, and so this was my first paid sabbatical was this summer. And what I, what I had a lot of time, and so what I did was I just, you know, when I read the Bible, right, I had more time to read the Bible. And what happened, I noticed in my brain, was that as soon as I got a really cool insight into the Word, literally I just skipped over to imagining myself. I, didn't, I couldn't even preach. I was on my sabbatical, you know what I'm saying? But I literally went from the insight to preaching it in my brain. Like there was no one listening, you know what I'm saying? And it was almost like if you, if you study like neurobiology or, or neuroplasticity, it's like these like brain, like this, like my brain just had these grooves that went straight from studying the Bible to preaching it. And I knew something was wrong with me because I was not supposed to go from hearing to preaching. I was supposed to go from hearing to trusting, then from trusting to obeying. In other words, holiness matters, Amen. Like godly character matters, but in our culture, in our generations, among at least the people that I'm ministering to, we want to study the Bible so that we can have insights into culture, but we don't want to study the Bible in order to have the Bible give insights into our own sin and brokenness so that we might repent and begin to change by the power of his word and by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so we need disciples in the American church. We, honestly, if, if you don't want to be a disciple, then please don't go into ministry. Like, I want to warn you now, because if you think that you can masquerade, you can for a season, but eventually you will be exposed like many have been. And so you may think you can fool other people, but God is not fooled, amen? And he's a holy God, even though in America we think God's our buddy and he is our friend, but he's also the living God. He stands here in this place and he knows everything about your life. And I'm pleading with you, be a disciple. Humble yourself before his holy word. Tremble at his word. Hear, trust, obey. Now notice this. Why did they hear, trust, and obey? Because there was a promise and the promise was this. He said, if you, if you do these things, the women said, you will see Jesus. So the goal of discipleship is not just to hear the word, not just to trust the word, not just to obey the word, but the goal of discipleship is so that you might see the living word, Christ. In other words, if you are a student of the Bible, you have not done a true Bible study, if you yourself have just gotten a cool insight or just obeyed. The goal of that Bible study, the goal of every sermon, the goal of every teaching is to see Christ. The goal of your devotion is to see Christ. 
And, and so when you do your devotion in the morning, the first thing you should be praying is, God, I can't see you in this text, but Lord, would you show me Jesus in this text? So that like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, where their hearts were burning within them while, they opened up, while Christ opened up the scriptures and showed them through the Old Testament everything concerning who? Christ. And I know this is a Christ-centered seminary. Amen? Amen? Okay, that's two people. Have you seen Christ in the scriptures? Have you seen Christ in the scriptures? I remember when I was in college, I went to Wheaton, and a couple of my friends, we, we would get this book. It's called Where's Waldo? I don't know if you guys are too young to remember that, but it was basically this book with a really complex picture, and inside was this tiny little nerdy-looking dude, white dude in a red, red-like outfit, right? It was really hard to find. And we would literally open up the same page at the same time. We would race to see Waldo. And literally every single time we looked, we, we had one goal. You understand? We, we didn't just say, hey, let's look at the picture. We, we didn't say, let's just talk about the insights we got from looking at the pages. There was one goal to where's Waldo. Find Waldo. You know he's on the page. That's how we look at the Bible. We study the insight. We study the historical, cultural, social. We study all of that. We study the grammatical structures. We study that. But with one goal, we know that Christ is on every page of the Bible. It doesn't matter if you're in Leviticus. You could even be in Song of Songs. Or some of you guys are in Song of Songs maybe too much. But you're, you're in it. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus is there. Jesus is in the Bible on every page of the Scriptures. So that if you do a Bible study and you uh, literally bring out insights that are so powerful that people are like, you are brilliant, you have failed as a Bible teacher. Because you have to show them Christ. And here's the beauty. The great joy, the, the purpose of your life is to see Christ. Like, like you will never be ultimately satisfied until you see Christ. If, you, if you've never seen Christ, you don't know what I'm talking about, but if you have seen Christ, you know the first time I ever met Christ, I mean, I grew up in the church, I may have been a Christian, but at 18 years old, by myself, while fasting and praying, because I was forced to, on the second day of that fast, reading the Bible, I saw Christ. And I'm telling you, I had a joy that I had never known in this world before. I mean, literally for about three hours by myself, I worshiped and danced and smiled from ear to ear because the joy of the Lord was so significant because I heard and saw Christ. And in that moment when I saw Christ, I literally knew this is what I was made for. I wasn't just made to study the Bible. I was made to see Christ in the scriptures. When you've seen Christ, you literally know what you were made for. This is why we are disciples. Because when you see Jesus, there is a joy and a pleasure that is literally indescribable and incomprehensible to this world. That's, that's what the world needs. That's what the church needs. They need pastors and leaders who have seen Christ regularly. Because if you've seen Christ, then God is going to use you to show them that the gospel is so distinct from anything that they've ever known that they will say, show me Christ, because I want to have what you have. Hear the word of Christ. Trust the word of Christ so you might obey the word of Christ by his grace 
so that you might by his grace see Christ. And here's the evidence you've seen Christ. You will worship. You will worship. One of the things I love about going to other countries, especially countries that are pressured or persecuted or poor, is that when I preach in those contexts, the worship is just at another level. Like, like in America, I feel like you, 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 you need certain things to make people in your church worship. Like you need really good-looking people on stage. And, and you need really well-dressed people with really good vocals and awesome sound systems and the lighting just quite right. And in some churches, you even need fog. I mean, it's crazy. But when I speak in certain closed countries, they don't have any of that. In fact, they have to worship in secret. And they sing in a language I don't understand. And on one occasion, I remember worshiping, not knowing anything they were singing. And the Spirit was so present in that place. And I'm Southern Baptist, so you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I literally wept. And it didn't make rational sense. Because I couldn't understand what they were singing. The presence of God was so thick in that place because in that persecuted context, they had seen Christ because they had to. Because those who hadn't seen Christ would have been weeded off by the persecution. And the ones who showed up at church were faithful because they had seen Christ and he was enough. And they couldn't wait to worship with their fellow brothers and sisters on that Sunday morning. The evidence that you've seen Christ is that even if you're by yourself and your voice sucks, you will worship. That even if the worship team here is not very good, which this one was by the far, by way, amazing, but even if they're not good, they can't stop you from singing. That's how you know you've seen Christ, amen? I remember uh, my mom. My mom is the godliest person that I know on earth, and she is without question the greatest evangelist that I know. I mean, literally, when we go on an airplane, like I speak in Hawaii pretty regularly, because when they invite me, I don't pray about it, amen? <laughs> like when North Dakota calls me, I'll say, hey, let me pray about that. But when Hawaii calls, they say, do you want to pray about it? I say, no, I don't want to pray about it because God might say no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like Jonah disobeyed, but he still made it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and so I, I was going to Hawaii, and, and, and I brought my mom with me. And, and I know whenever we fly somewhere, and my mom and I are in the same row, there's a third person who will sit next to us, and it's pretty much done for that person. Not because of me. People think I'm evangelistic. I'm like, I'm like literally like a high school B-team player compared to my mom who's like in the NBA. And my mom doesn't even speak English super well. She immigrated here from Korea. And, and, and I just know that whoever says that, it's done. And when you fly to Hawaii, it's long. So it's really done. This lady sits there. She's a, uh, we find out later she's a retired doctor. She's a brilliant woman. My mom starts to strike up conversation and leads it to Jesus pretty fast. She is so annoyed that she literally puts her newspaper up like this in front of my mom. And I'm like, rude. <laughs> she puts it down like maybe 20 minutes later, and my mom continues right where she left off. 
And I'm uncomfortable because I care what people think about us. You know what I'm saying? But my mom cares more about what God thinks about her. So she continues. She does it again. She did two or three times on that trip. By the time the trip was almost done, my mom went to the bathroom and the lady turns to me, her heart so softened by the gospel and the spirit of God that she says, your mom is an amazing woman. The same woman who literally resisted and rejected my mom in her presentation of the gospel. The spirit and her love for her literally softened her heart so that by the time we were almost at Hawaii, she was listening to the full presentation of the gospel. Now, why? Why is my mom just more bold? Is she an extrovert? Like, what is it about my mom that's distinguished her? No, I'm probably as extrovert as my mom. And my English is way better. And my cultural understanding of this country is better than her. Why is she the one who constantly and consistently will persist in the... Pre- Let me tell you why. Because her whole life, she's heard the word of Christ, trusted the word of Christ, obeyed the word of Christ, seen the living word of Christ, and worshipped him. Her whole life. I can go all the way back to when she was in her mid-20s, when she first, what she would say was born again. She didn't grow up in the church. Her dad was an atheist or agnostic. Her mom was a Buddhist. Her dad had a near-death experience and through that had a vision where she literally, he literally saw a vision of the temple in Jerusalem and through that began to journey for Christ, got healed by a terminal illness in that moment of that vision. And so brought the, church, the family to church, but... She didn't have any faith in Christ. And in her mid-20s, she met a friend who had um, had a radical transformation through the gospel. And so that put her on this deep journey. And she was desperate to find salvation in what she calls peace with God because that was the book that Billy Graham had written. And then one night after uh, being frustrated with not being able to be saved, she had read the Bible in the past and she said she never understood one verse. But that night she had this insight that Perhaps um, if, if her dad had written her a letter, she would open up that letter, take a pen and highlight it because she loved her dad's words so much. She said if this is God's word, that she should read that with that kind of reverence. So she took a pen out, never understood one verse of the Bible, opened up the Gospel of John, started with John 1.1, and literally that night from about midnight till 2 a.m., all the word of God began to make sense to her. She gets to John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And literally, her eyes open. The way to salvation is not through a missionary, through a Bible teacher, through a revivalist. It's through Christ. By herself, through the Spirit of God. She believes. She goes to bed. It's 2 a.m. She's tired. And then she has this thought. Why am I not joyful? If the, if the daughter of the, queen, of the king of England found out later in her life that she was the daughter of the king, would she not be joyful to know that her dad was the king of all of England? She said, you are the king of all kings. I just became your daughter. I have no joy. Why? So she get back, gets back on her knees. She prays, God, give me a sign that I am now your daughter. And the Holy Spirit comes on her. And just bear with me now, Okay. And, and he literally touches her tongue, and she says a voice comes out that's the most beautiful voice, the most gentle voice she's ever heard in her life, not from this world. And the words that come out is, thank you, O Lord, thank you, O Lord, thank you, O Lord, three times. And literally, she said, she felt her finite life connect with Christ's eternal life, and she literally stands up in her room, and she still does that at 74 years old. She beaming with joy. She said, I came alive. I came alive. 
And my mom has suffered probably more than anyone else in this room for 40 of her 40-some years of her marriage. She was in an abusive marriage. And yet, her joy and her boldness in the evangelism, like literally for her whole life that I saw her. When we were, my dad was getting his PhD at UC Berkeley. He was rated the number two. She got into MIT in Berkeley for his engineering PhD. Couldn't afford MIT, so he went to Berkeley. And literally, almost every, if not every PhD wife came to Christ because of my mom. Years later, they still come up to me and say, your mom is the most special woman. And, and, and you could say, well, how, teach me how to evangelize. Let me tell you, hear the word of Christ every day. Like, like just... Here's what I do, it's a practical thing. First hour in the morning now, out of my sabbatical, I said, I don't turn on my phone. I just leave my phone on airplane mode, and I just spend that first hour with God. Can you do that? Build it into your system now. One hour, no phone. If you can't do that, do 20 minutes and, and, and have a goal to get up to one hour. Then trust by faith, by grace. Then obey by grace. And then by grace, see the living Christ. And then by grace, worship the living. Be satisfied in him, amen? That's what we need in America. It's so simple. That's why when church planners come to me, because we're doing well, whatever that means, and they come to me for advice, and I tell them that stuff, and they walk away like the rich young ruler disappointed. Give me some strategy. Give me some pragmatics. Like, that is practical. That's what we need. We need people who are so lit up with Jesus, for real, that you just can't contain it, you know what I'm saying? And it overflows into your life and ministry. So that's, I got seven minutes left. That's the first point. I got four points, all right? So number one, (laughs) the priority of mission. Number two, the promise for mission. Then Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, right? So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let me just quickly say this. Ministry is for the long haul. Ministry is for the long haul, amen? And I planted a church, and I'd say the first two or three years, it was, it was hard, but it was easy. Because everybody liked me those first two or three years. Because we were growing. And I didn't have to make any hard decisions. Like, like we planted because we couldn't fit, so everyone understood. Then we started to plant when we got big. People didn't like that. And then some friends got mad or upset, and they didn't tell me, but they talked behind my back because I didn't spend as much time with them because we grew. They didn't understand that it's easier to spend time with people when there's 150 people, harder when there's 700 people. And, and, and people that... Uh, were new to the church who were the most missional, became the most contentious. And, and on and on we went. And there were days where I was so lonely and so isolated that I literally despaired even of life. And I'm telling you, in those moments, you can't rely on experience and emotion. You need a promise. You need a reminder. This past summer, I was on my first sabbatical, like I said, and I'm, I'm not married, for those of you guys who don't know that. I'm not married and... And I'm like a unicorn, you know what I'm saying? Like a, a lead planter who's single, who's in his 40s, who's leading a network. Literally, I don't know of any in the nation. If there are some, please let me know because I want to be his friend. <laughs> it's really hard. 
And, and, and I literally was despairing of life. And all I could read were the Psalms. I never loved the Psalms the way other people did until I suffered. But in that despair, the Psalms actually mocked me. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And it felt like he was mocking me. I don't feel like you're near right now. You're definitely not saving me. But I held on to his promises. And about four months later, one day, I just literally just, I don't know how, but I just believed. I don't know how, I just meditated on the promises over and over again. And one day I believed. It's true. He was near, I just didn't see him or feel him. He did save me. He lifted me out of that miry pit. And some of you right now are going through a hard season. And if you go into ministry, you will definitely go through hard seasons. They say 50% of people in ministry will quit the ministry, pastoral ministry, in five years. Isn't that crazy? And I know all you guys are like, no way. I'm telling you, it's true. They quit because they don't believe that God has all authority in heaven and earth. They don't believe when everything in their congregation is going sideways that God is on his throne. And if I had time, I would show you from the Gospels how Jesus had authority over everything. Winds, waves, he had authority in his teaching, authority over death and demons and everything, amen? And then he had authority over death, sin, and hell. And he's literally saying, look at me. I am living proof that all authority is mine. So we do mission, not in our own authority, but in the authority of Christ. So we can walk with what I tell my congregation with a humble swagger, you know what I'm saying? Not an arrogant swagger like Jay-Z, but a humble swagger. Knowing that we have confidence in the Lord and in his authority. And nothing happens apart from his sovereign plan. Amen? And so even if a congregation member criticizes you, that too was part of his good plan for his glory and your people's joy. So number one, the priority of mission. Number two, the promise for mission. Number three, the plan of mission. Therefore now, again, remember, therefore, based upon the priority, based upon the promise, not start with therefore, amen? That's how most of us do. Let's do ministry. No, 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 no. If you're not hearing, trusting, obeying, seeing, and worshiping Christ, if you're not resting upon the solid authority and promises of God, please do not go into ministry. But if you are doing those things, not in perfection, but in growing grace, then go. This is what it, simply this. Just don't hang out with Christians only. Go into the world. You can go with other people, but just get out of your comfort zone. And, and go out to where they are. And there's so many social media apps now where you can literally just join like a meetup or whatever it is and just get into something. And just, 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 just hear their stories. When it's appropriate, proclaim Christ. Church planting, if you're thinking about church planting, there's too many church planters who think it's about transfer growth. You have to go. You have to talk to people who are going to reject you and have views that you're not going to agree with and maybe smarter than you, so it's going to be intimidating. You're going to need the Holy Spirit, amen? You're going to have to go back and study. Go and make disciples of all nations. Notice this doesn't say plant churches, for it says make disciples, amen? It doesn't say make converts and make disciples, but notice that you can't make a disciple if you're not a disciple. That's why the priority mission is so precious. 
If you're not hearing, trusting, living, obeying, seeing, then what are you going to teach them? Academic curriculum? No, you should be one step ahead, amen? And so don't make a disciple if you're not a disciple first. You're not a leader first, amen? You're a disciple first. Make disciples of all nations. And if I had time, I would tell you about how God, by his spirit, literally led the nations into our church. We're literally three months into our church plan. When I wanted to be multi-ethnic, we planted in an African-American neighborhood in the near west side of Chicago, and I wanted to be multi-ethnic. But guess what happened? It became multinational. And literally people started coming into our church who had never heard of the gospel. They live in Chicago. They're here to study English or they're in the university. They've never heard of Jesus. And every university across America, literally uh, international, are coming to our campuses. And immigrants are coming into our nation who literally have never heard of Jesus, many of them. And they're in our own context. And we have the gospel, amen? And I wish I had time, but I'll tell you the stories that are supernatural of literally me sitting in a room with people who've never heard of Jesus, and I'm an evangelist. It's like the Super Bowl, you know what I'm saying? And they would come to Christ. When we baptized them, they would weep. And I would sit there and say, these people had, five months ago, when I asked them, do you know Jesus, they would say, I've heard of that word before. What does it mean? They're in our neighborhoods, Amen. My old professor, Gordon Conwell, who's now the president of Asbury Seminary, he said 86% of immigrants coming to America either are Christians or will become Christians. They are the greatest hope for the revitalization of the church in America. We've politicized immigration, right? And I'm not even talking about illegal immigration right now, okay? So, you know. I'm just saying that God is bringing the nations into our church or into our cities. And 86% either are or will become Christians. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I'm commanding. And then lastly, this, just real quickly. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The, the priority, the promise, uh, the plan, and then the presence for mission. The presence for mission. This is, this is the great gift of being on mission with God. Is he will be with you always to the very end of the age. When we started our church... I was getting offers from a couple of pretty significant leaders in Southern California. And for Chicagoans, California is almost like heaven. Like, like in heaven, there's no more tears. Amen? In California, there's no more snow. All right? And so I was like, yes. And they were great leaders and mentors. So I wanted to go. But I was fasting and praying at, at my old chapel at Wheaton College. And and the Lord led me to read Exodus 33. It's a chapter right after Israel had worshipped the golden calf. And, 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 and Moses pleads with God. He, God says, I'll, I'll send an angel ahead of you. They'll destroy the enemies. You can, you can go. And um, take you to the promise, but I won't go. And, and Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, what will separate us from all the other people on the earth? Isn't that beautiful? What Moses was saying is, Israel is not Israel because of the promised land. Israel is Israel because of you. And God, because I'm Southern Baptist, I have to say, God impressed upon my mind these words. I want you to plant a church in Chicago. My presence will go with you. Is that enough? And in my little faith, I said, yes, Lord. And out of one person, in a city where literally of all the Southern Baptist church plants in the last seven years, only one has ever pierced 100 people other than our church. And when it finally merged, it was at 12 people. 
we're the only church that's ever gotten past 100 that I know of in the, in the city of Chicago. It's, it's, in Chicago, 100 people for a church plant is like a mega church here. If you saw our church, we didn't have a worship pastor until this summer. Seven years, we had no worship pastor. We never had a children's pastor full-time until, actually, we still never have had it. So if you want to be one, come, talk to me, all right? We've done everything wrong. I preach for an hour. I'm already three minutes over, okay? That's short for me, all right? By the way, in China, they beg me to preach for two or three hours, okay? So what's wrong with y'all? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and all I can tell you is this. So many people, and you probably would be unimpressed if you saw our church, but so many people come to our church, will text other people and tell other people, I don't know what it is about Church of the Beloved, but whenever I go, I sense the presence of God, and they don't even know the promise God gave to me. But here's the great news. That promise is not just for me, amen? Praise God. It's not just for good leaders or bad. It's for everyone who would literally do the priority of mission, hear, trust, obey, live, a see and then worship. It would be for everybody who would trust his promises. It would be for everybody who would obey his plan. For all of us who, in our imperfection, by his grace would live that out. He makes a promise, and this is awesome. Almighty God, who spoke sentences and billions of galaxies were created, who spoke life into a dead soul that's sitting where you're sitting right now, that living God makes a promise that when you go on mission with me, I myself will be with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Would you just take 20 seconds and whatever the Spirit is just doing to you through the Word, would you just spend some time maybe repenting or just asking God or even praising Him? Then I'll close this in prayer as the worship team comes up. Father, I just come and just plead with you, Father, for these students, God. Lord, that before you unleash them into full-time ministry, God, would you meet them in the secret places, in the mornings and in the evenings, God, when no one else is there, when they don't have to tweet about it or tell people about it because they need worth from other people's opinions, but because simply they want to rest in your love and your presence and your word. And I pray all throughout this campus, God, and even those who are commuters, God, that your Holy Spirit would show them Christ. So beautiful, so sweet. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And out of that place for the rest of their days, they would go out and make disciples of nations for the glory of your name and for the joy of your presence in their lives, we pray. And all of God's people say, amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.com.
www.ebc.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.